0: Hello everybody, I'm Dwayne Mancini and welcome to another episode of MedTech Money brought to you by Project MedTech. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. For more information on Project MedTech, our events we host, our consulting and advisory services, and to sign up for our monthly newsletter, visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com and follow us on LinkedIn. If you're enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcast by searching Project MedTech on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. Project MedTech is an interview style podcast on the medtech industry where guests share stories, advice, pitfalls, trends, and innovations. If you are a medtech enthusiast, and interested in our two events this year, we have our Midwest Showcase August 30th in Cleveland, Ohio. You can sign up for that on our website. And we also have our Startup Symposium in Houston, Texas, October 25th and 26th. So if you want to be at either one of those events, please sign up online. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to anybody on the Project MedTech team. In this episode, our host, Giovanni Loricella, and our guest, Patrick Schmidtel at Carry Health, discuss his $2.3 million seed round, the best piece of advice he received while fundraising, the worst piece of advice, what he would change about the fundraising process, cap table management, and so much more. So without further ado, Giovanni's discussion with Patrick Schmidtel.
1: Medical Patrick, thank you very much for being here with us today. I'm very excited about this one. We were not too long ago in person in Boston at the AdvaMed, the MedTech conference. We had an amazing dinner and you were part of the MedTech Innovator cohort. So it was a really great conference, which is now last year, but I'm very glad to hear because when you and I were together last, you were raising capital. And fortunately between then and now, you've raised capital. So today we get to tell the story. And this is the MedTech Money podcast series, which is powered by Project MedTech and sponsored by Lifeblood Capital. And we have been here before, we've talked to MedTech entrepreneurs like yourself, as well as investors from around the world. And what I've discovered is that there's no silver bullet specific formula or even magic of how to raise or invest capital in MedTech. So my goal here is to extract insights so that we can demystify this process and help other medtech innovators benefit from this information. And so the audience is medtech entrepreneurs as well as investors listening in now, and what I'd like to do is share your stories and advice to help our listeners learn from you specifically and even more specifically for those first-time founders or CEOs who have literally no clue of what lies ahead of them on this journey of raising capital. So, I thought the best place to start is to learn from experienced professionals like yourself, and the first question I want to toss your way is what is the lifeblood of a medtech startup and what keeps startups alive
2: well that's a great question well first of all thank you Giovanni for for having me uh, this is uh this is exciting I'm looking forward to to talking about this uh, over the next several uh several I guess minutes or almost almost hour um there are really three things if you think about it uh, that uh, that drive medtech startups uh, one is is a, is a Treatment gap or perceived treatment gap uh, that uh, somebody's experienced uh, either uh, in their professional life or through one of their loved ones or themselves as a patient, and then the second one is is to to try and fill that treatment gap uh, by somehow figuring out a way to, to raise enough money or spend your own money to 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 figure out a solution to that treatment gap, and then and then the, finally. Uh, it's not something that that any one person can do by themselves. Uh, you, you have to have the right people with the right expertise and the right experience to to help make it happen. So, so it's one a treatment gap, two capital, and then three the right talent to make it happen. So that's kind of how I think about it. But you know what's interesting is that nobody grows up thinking I want to start a med tech company one day, right? It's it's just something that. <laughs> Uh, It it evolves over time, right? And clinicians or patients or loved ones of patients find a a gap and then they try to figure out a solution.
1: So then talking about building those med tech startup companies or even your particular med tech startup company, Carry Health, what is the hardest part about building a company? I mean, and I'm talking about speak from the heart on this one and imagine you're in a room full of entrepreneurs listening in that you know, maybe they're engineers working for Medtronic or they're a director at a startup company, but they've never led a company, but they all have those shower ideas of like, man, I would love to build my own company one day. And they literally have no idea what they're walking into, but what is those hard moments? What's so hard about a startup?
2: Well, i there are many things that are difficult in for startups in general, but uh, but for med tech companies or startups specifically, I personally feel like the hardest thing is is that that you don't really you can't really validate your idea or your solution uh, with the market or with patients uh, until you're way down the line of product development and and regulatory clearance. So so that is unlike many many other startups and and other segments where you have. The ability to create a prototype and get early customers and get feedback, and you get a sense for is will anybody willing to pay for this? And in in med tech, you can you can be years down the road of product development and clinical studies and regulatory clearance, and you get to the end point, <laughs> and either patients don't want to use your product, or clinicians don't want to prescribe it, or or um, or payers don't want to reimburse for it. So, that I think that's probably the hardest part, and to think through all that. And and be to be able to overcome those objections uh, when you go out and raise capital. Those are some of the hardest things.
1: And so we're going to cover the story. And I actually am very excited to cover the story because, like I said, we were hanging out before you raised capital, and I was watching you in the middle of of this fundraise. And now you've raised it, and I, we're going to get to that story. It's very exciting, but you've you've been raising capital throughout your career and you just came up on a 2.3 million seed round for carry health and you've received advice there's some good there's some bad and just for once again you to disseminate your wisdom at this point what is the best advice on raising capital that you've received and what is just wrong like what's what's the worst advice you've received
2: well, there's always a little piece of wisdom in every piece of advice you get because it comes from an experience, right? Uh, the But the best piece of advice, and, and this is somewhat cliche, but but it's really that, that you have to talk to a lot more people than you ever dreamed you have to talk to. And it takes a lot longer than you ever think it would take. And, and therefore, make sure that that you have enough runway to, to to see that through, right? So that was one piece of advice because we put our plan together. We put our schedule together. We said, this is what we're going to do. Here's how long it's going to take us. And basically, one of my mentors said, okay, <laughs> just go ahead and, and at least double that and double the number of people you got to talk to, double the, the amount of time it takes. And and uh, and she was right. Um, in terms of the worst piece of advice, well, it was that it actually came from somebody i trust and and that, that that i usually go to for guidance and and it was towards the end of the the third quarter last year and and we were you know probably about 60 or 70 percent of the way done with our seed round and and basically he told me he said look don't don't bother don't waste your time don't keep raising just just close your round now and focus on execution. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, because he, he saw what was happening in the macroeconomic environment and, and, and he just thought, okay, just, you know, don't waste your time. That's what, that's the advice he gave me.
1: And thankfully you didn't listen to him because he ended up closing and finishing out your round. That's so correct. Yeah. Th- this next one's a Patrick question and it could be about business. It could be about anything really, but, what book would you recommend our audience to read, and why? And it literally could be any book or topic. I'm a,
2: I'm a, uh, a voracious reader, so I I I learn through reading, and I try to pick out things from from the books that I read. There's always one or two things that you can pick out, but uh, I, I just happened to pick one up uh, when I was uh, the last one I, I I happened to read and pick up was when I was at the airport, and we're. In the last week of raising our round, and and I saw uh, this book that um, from the Harvard Business Review. It, w- it was just an aggregation of articles that talked about mental toughness, and I just felt like you know <laughs> this is <laughs> this is really appropriate. I need some inspiration, and 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 so the stories in in that in that book uh, provide the inspiration to, to help me close you know close out the round.
0: That's
1: awesome. I'm I'm an airport reader myself, and I I have a, a shelf of books that I bought that I still haven't got to that I've picked up because the title sounded great, and you never have time, at least when you start the conferences and you're traveling. But I'm glad that you got your uh your words of wisdom from Harvard Business Review. There you go. Uh, so, from your perspective, I, I like to ask this question because not that there's so many varying points of view, but once in a while there there's this divergent path that is unique but what's the job of a CEO and what is the biggest challenge of a CEO Well and I don't mean I, founder yeah. there is a difference we've talked about and everyone knows there's differences between founders and CEOs but your your perspective of a, the job of a CEO yeah so I I try
2: to think of it in terms of uh, alignment. And it's a sort of a a constant effort to try to achieve alignment, alignment with your team on the the goals you've set out for the company and uh, alignment between your investors goals and your company goals. And, and then the alignment of your financial capital with the resources that are needed in order to accomplish those goals. And then ultimately alignment of the solution that you're building with, with what the market uh, wants and needs and is going to, to pay for. So, in many ways, you know, instead of calling a chief executive officer, you should really call it a chief alignment officer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but I you know I love being the CEO. I I, I really I I love I love everything about it. Uh, the only thing that that is challenging for me, um, or is the most challenging, is the self promotional aspect of it. And and um, you know every, everyone everyone knows it's it's about the team and how team how well the team executes. Uh, CEOs and and founders they can't nobody can do anything on their own, but right or wrong you know investors they often decide on whether they want to invest in a deal based on whether or not they like the CEO whether they believe in the CEO and and so that requires that you you promote um, not just your company but also yourself and and that takes a lot of time it takes a lot of effort and and for me it it definitely doesn't come naturally it's it's something that I have to to work at and work on so.
1: This is a, a part B to that question because you bring up a great point then. And, and, and I, I hear not necessarily the line of self-promotion being the biggest challenge, but specific to yourself. But I have heard that before of others, remember, maybe they're engineers or maybe they're physicians, right? And then all of a sudden they're thrown in the limelight of being a CEO and their DNA is not naturally gravitating towards like, hey, look at me, look at me. And there's this line of of ego, right? And, and sometimes, well, not sometimes, but often people hear this word of ego and think of it being negative. Um, But when you are stuck between that rock and a hard place of, like you just mentioned, investors basically buy the hope of investing in the CEO to lead the rest of the story that they're promising. And if it doesn't come natural to promote yourself, how do you balance that between, uh, Hey, everyone look at me and this is what I've done but it's not who you typically are because you don't have that big ego. You, you, you are a team player. You want everyone to work together. You you want to be part of the team that's driving this as a whole. And you just have one piece of the pie. That's your responsibility. But how do you personally balance that ego versus that evil necessity of having to self-promote?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a tough one, right? Because it also comes down to, to priorities and, and allocation of time. Um, so you know for us you know let's just focus on fundraising for a second which is typically identified with this is the job of the ceo is is to is to fundraise but but for us it was really a team sport and and without us as a team working on this and collaborating and and complementing each other we would have never raised the round so so there was a constant balancing act between making sure that that the right team members are part of the right meetings with the investors at the right time, versus making sure that they had also had enough time to execute on on what needs to happen on a day to day basis to move your company forward, right? And and so, trying to make those decisions on a day by day basis was uh, was and, and remains challenging because the fundraising doesn't doesn't stop, um, and and you're also trying to balance, you know, making sure that everybody feels included. Um, to the point where, they're, where they where they have a sense of accomplishment to contributing to it, uh, but yet um, also making sure they have the time and, 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 and yeah, the, the time and the energy to put into their, their day job. Um, and I, I don't have a, a, a secret formula. <laughs> it's, it's something where on a day-to-day basis, you, you try to do the best you can and, and sometimes you make the right decisions and sometimes you, you don't make the right decisions
1: so similarly to raising capital being a ceo is an art not necessarily a formula or a scientific silver bullet
2: absolutely uh, i think it uh, we naturally tend to um gravitate towards things that we that we do well in and we gravitate away from things that we're not so good at and in, you know in my case i i don't have a medtech uh, background prior to, to founding the company I, i've been part of lots of other businesses, but, um, but I, I'm not an engineer, I'm not a clinician. Uh, I'm, I'm just the, you know, the, a loved one of a patient, um, that, that was concerned that there was a treatment gap. Right. And and so, so my team has the clinical experience. They have the engineering skills. Uh, they, they, they have the regulatory experience. They, they have the product design and development experience. Right. Um, so, so, so that's how we complement each other. Um, my sweet spot is, is to bring all the resources together and, and try to make sure that, that we, we all execute at a high level.
1: I have fun with this next question. Having been through your raise now, if you had a magic stick and could change anything about raising capital, the whole process itself, and you could choose whatever you want, just wave your magic wand, what would it be?
2: You know, I thought quite a bit about about this one. And um the, the the biggest thing is just the time, right? The, the time it takes to to find the right investor and the right fund that has alignment with with your deal and your timeline and your uh, your capital needs uh, to, to 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 talk to the hundred people to get to the one, it, it, it's a lot of time, effort and energy, right and and so if there's some way to speed up the process to 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 get matched up with the the right fund the right person at the right fund in a timely manner uh to get to a yes or no quickly that would be ideal you know so i was thinking about what would that look like right it would be kind of like a cross between amazon and and match.com right where <laughs> you you just select each other right and 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 um um, based on, on the attributes. And, and there are some attempts out there, but, but so far I ha- I haven't found anything that that speeds up that process that you have to go through.
1: So I'm very glad that you brought that up. I keep on having these part B questions because you, you're bringing up some great points. I personally, in my career, I've stumbled across makeshift ideas who have tried that matchmaking. I've spent countless hours at conferences and cocktail parties late at night talking about raising capital and and this whole idea of like saving time and how do you properly met and only if we could make it more efficient and streamline it even if it did exist like imagine if there was a a linkedin of of investors where if The person searching was the entrepreneur and you could just type in all your keywords and all of a sudden just the the list would populate of everyone that you needed to say yes for, right, to raise your round. I mean, when you think about impact investors versus 10-year horizon institutional funds versus the angel groups who just invest out of their own pocket and they're not beholden to a timeline versus the due diligence versus the public markets versus... Is it early stage where the investors are really buying the CEO, like you were talking about earlier, versus more of the objective business that's based on metrics of sales? Um, is the fund almost complete with deploying capital, and and you missed out because they're still raising the next fund, but they're not ready to deploy? You know, there's so many factors on both the startup side itself of what is good money, and what is acceptable, and and the, the good money that should be put into the company, and then the 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 investors themselves and all their various forms and timelines. Like, you don't have to have a real answer for this, but do you even think that a matchmaking AI is even possible for something like that? Or is money too personal?
2: It, it, it's a good question. You know, it all depends on how how up to date and how valid the data is that is in the system, right? And and uh, at the end of the day. It also requires that both parties play, right? Because today, what often happens is that that um, that as an entrepreneur, you don't get feedback, right? You, you you just get silence, and silence is really the worst part. So, one key component to whatever the mechanism is is that that investors would have to respond <laughs> within a certain amount of time. Uh, they would have to say yes or no or maybe. And and perhaps uh, give you a reason um, why, right? Uh, th- that will be invaluable, right? Is 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 to have an answer and and some uh, some maybe one or two bullets as to why or why not, and um, so so that is the personal aspect of it, right? So no AI machine can help you that, but but what what it could help is is to actually get to to. To having the conversations more quickly, right? Yeah. I, th- I think that's the key. Is because at the end of the day, it's still about building a personal relationship and building trust and 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 establishing the the confidence in in whoever you're talking to that you can lead your company to success. That the, I, I think that is going to require the personal interactions, right? It's just to get to that point. I think that that there's a lot of room for improvement uh, on on that
1: front This is another you question you know imagine months or years from now you successfully go public or sell off carry health and life is great um if you weren't a med tech entrepreneur now and there were there were no limiting factors what else would you be doing like who is Patrick as a human being like, Forget the 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 developing of a med tech company, or you've successfully exited. What would you be doing next?
2: I probably would coach kids sports. Uh, I I uh, I coached my kids growing up uh, when they were younger. I coached soccer. I coached basketball. I coached football, and, and I loved it. I lo- I loved every minute of it. Um, so I would I would probably do that. I, I would. Um, Probably soccer because that's that's what I what I know the most. Um, but um, but that's probably what I would do.
1: Yeah, nice.
2: All right, one other thing, maybe run a surf school. Uh, so that's that's my surf other passion. School. Yeah, that's my other passion is surfing. So yeah, running and a surf school would be good.
1: Let's pop that bubble real quick, and I'm sure we're about to get to it with your background and, and carry health. But where are you based?
2: Uh, San Diego, California. Surfing's good. Surfing is very good. <laughs> it's just, I don't get to do it much. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, having a startup uh, and uh, and surfing uh, are pretty much directly contradictory to each other. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyway.
1: <laughs> so you were talking about the fact that you didn't come from Medtech. You ended up developing this company because you saw that there was a gap in the system somewhere. What does the name of your company, carry Health, mean? Where's what's the story behind it?
2: Yeah, so you know the meaning of it is is that that, that um, it has you know care in it, right? So you know we care, we care for our patients, we care for each other, uh, we we care for what we do, we we care about making making a difference. Uh, but uh, when we went through the naming uh, process, uh, any anything that was associated with care, C A R E, any any derivative of it was, was taken. And, and so we, we basically made it carry um, and uh, which is, uh, you know, it has the sound of a caring uh, person. And, and, uh, and, and so that's how we ended up with, with, with carry.
1: Very cool. Very cool. And and sometimes it happens that way. I mean, some, you know, you have this simple names and we've heard some of these stories where it's like, you just, you couldn't get the website or that name wasn't available. The next best one is right here.
2: Exactly, so, yeah, and it was four letters. You know, it was at the beginning of the alphabet. So
1: it's, <laughs> that, that's know. another one. I, <laughs> I think that's a good. I've I've heard that strategy a few times. Actually, I don't hear it as often as I thought I would. But the fact is, like when companies name a name of their company, that is one of the closer or the first alphabet. So whenever they jump on jump on a line of uh, companies listed for whatever medtech innovator pitch competitions or conferences like they're up at the top so that's that's interesting um so we 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 learned the name of carry health and why moment of the hour we've been listening to you now for the past several minutes and getting some of your insight we know that you're a surfer we know that you're from san diego but we really want to know who we're listening to which is you patrick schmidle and Tell us about who you are, where are you from? How'd you build your life? You alluded to children earlier. So, you know, what led you up in this path of what you'd like to share to founding and leading Carrie Health?
2: Well, I, originally I, I grew up in, in Germany and uh, came came to the U.S. as an exchange student, actually my, my junior year of high school and and have been here pretty much ever since. Uh, there are a couple of exceptions. I, I spend a year in, in England and I spend a year in Munich. Um, as an expat of all things but um but uh that's um yeah so i've been here oh quite quite some time now i don't, don't want to i'll date myself if, if, if i if I, <laughs> if I if i say the number of years but um but no it's it's been just fantastic uh fantastic experience certainly for for me america is the land of opportunity and and um you know we I would have never been able to start this company in in Germany, for example, uh, it, uh, just based on my background. and um, you know, if I, if I look at my my history and how did I end up here, you know, I, I don't want to get too deep and too far pa- in, in the past here, but you know if I look at my mom and her career, she was a therapist. she uh, she worked with with uh, kids in that, uh, that that were in need that had special needs. and, and, and my dad had a business. So, you know, so it's no wonder that I ended up as an empathetic entrepreneur. So that, that's kind of, <laughs> that's how it all came about. But, you know, I, over my, over the course of my career, I, I came to San Diego originally to go to the grad school and, um, and uh, I've been parts of, uh, part of lots of companies. Uh, I've been part of seven exits. So it seems like every company that I've worked for uh, gets acquired at some point in time. Uh, for three of those, I was in a leadership role. Uh, I've been managing P&Ls for the last 15 years, so very familiar with building teams, building solutions, building commercial solutions for for enterprise uh, accounts and business accounts, um, software research. Um, so, so anyway, and then you know the way I got started with with Carrie was that I had a, a close family member that struggled with with opioids and recognized that there was a, a huge need in, in the marketplace for for innovative solutions, and that's. That's what inspired me to start the business. So here we are.
1: <laughs> and and leading up to that, what is Carry Health? Once again, imagine you're on a loudspeaker, and everyone listening doesn't know what Carry Health is, does, or even the stage that it's at. So, what are you building, and who is Carrie?
2: Yeah, so we're a we're a sensor-enabled digital health company, and and the problem that we're solving is medication adherence, and and we're doing that with this. A quarter-sized monitor. It's a remote uh, wearable monitor. Uh, and what's you know what makes us unique? There are a couple things. One is that uh, we're not just another RPM or remote patient monitoring company. We we're starting off in a, in a niche market that that has a very very compelling value proposition. Uh, and then secondly, uh, the the monitor includes some patent pending technology that enables monitoring of medication levels in real time. So. In, kind of think of it like a continuous glucose monitor but instead of getting to um, glucose levels you're you're getting medication levels.
1: Very cool And so you're headquartered in San Diego you are would you would you call yourself an early stage company or how far are you away from clearance regulatory approval commercialization? Where are you on the the spectrum?
2: Definitely early stage even though we've been at this for a while but uh, originally we, uh, we were grant funded uh still actually are grant funded to some extent from the nih we also received uh, grant funding from the N- nsf but um it's taken us a while to develop the technology which is a-, a chemical assay and then also to find the right uh delivery medium if you will <laughs> uh, as well as uh, the the right beachhead market and it- that has just taken some time and then when when we got to that point uh that's when things really started to take off and we were able to, to go out and raise raise additional funding.
0: So
1: wanted to shine on the, the highlight of the hour, which is the recent news that came out and um, at earlier part of this year, but you had successfully raised this 2.3 million seed round. And I wanna hear the story of that. I, I wanna throw this out of some of the highlights that we're gonna talk about. In general, your perception of raising now, uh, we're we're in a and just to date this podcast, which I usually don't do, but it's very late February, twenty twenty three, and we've been in a fairly tough market for, depending on who you talk to, a lot of months or a few months for sure. But um, I want to I want to hear the story of how you raised the two point three million, and then just general thoughts of the market conditions right now. And I'll stop there because I can pull a lot from there. But um, in general, how'd you raise it? Tell that story, and where are we today? So let me let me just preface
2: it by saying when when we first started raising, I, I thought that because we previously we we uh, we been funded through grant funding, right? And I thought this was so arduous. And and you're so constrained. I will never write another grant application again. Right? We're going to do this with 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 private funding now. After having gone through the the fundraising and the private. It, is it raising money through grants is child's play compared to that. <laughs> <laughs> we actually just submitted for two more uh, SBIR grants because um, because it, it's it's difficult. It's really difficult to to raise private capital, especially for for a medtech startup. But the way we went about it uh, is is we 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 started out uh, actually with a with an event called the San Diego Angels Conference. And it's actually it just now started. They they they're in the quarterfinals now, I believe. Uh, it started a year ago, and and it's a it's a group of angels in San Diego that run a competition every year, uh, where they basically they get hundred some odd applications, and then they they go through a competition where they riddle down the companies from hundred to six finalists that go through six to eight weeks of very stringent due diligence they, they look at everything they look at your team they look at uh, i mean we took personality tests they looked at your ip they looked at your technology they looked at your commercialization plan they look everything you can think about um, they looked at for several weeks and then at the end they decide who they're going to invest in and and we were fortunate enough that that um they they invested in us. They declared us the winner. There are two other companies that uh, also received funding: uh, Hero Health and and Joel, uh, also very good companies. Uh, and and uh, anyway, that's how we got our lead investor. <laughs> um, but it was a, an arduous process. They became our lead investor. We agreed on the terms with them, and then that sort of started the process of of trying to syndicate this deal uh, with other angel groups that. Work differently than the San Diego Angels Conference, but um, but that started the process. And then from there, we went to New Fund, which is the former Tech Coast Angel San Diego. And uh, they they invested. Uh, then uh, the Co-Fund, which is a fund in, uh, in, in Irvine, Southern California, uh, uh, they invested. They're our largest investor now. And then uh, we received uh, another couple of angel funds. One is Chemical Angels Network, which... Uh, which essentially uh, their claim to fame is that they differentiate between science and science fiction. So, so I'm glad we came out on the right side of that. <laughs> uh, and then finally, uh, Medical Devices of Tomorrow. So they specialize in, in investing in medical devices. And, and so those are the five funds that, that invest it. Uh, and in addition to that, we, we have a number of, of individual investors that I would also consider smart money, uh, doctors, um, dentists, uh, psychiatrists, people that are uh, in the sort of the, the addiction treatment space that believe in what we're doing. So so that's, that's how we went about it um, in a nutshell, but uh, there are lots of ups and downs.
1: <laughs> so then let me pull apart what you have just shared, and, and I think it would be helpful for the time frame. So you, you mentioned the San Diego Angel Competition started this time a year ago.
2: Janu- when we- it was January. Uh, January. January is when we submitted the application and then
1: and then so they announced the
2: winner in, in April.
1: We we assume that you, let's call it, you started raising capital in January of 2022. And you closed when? In December of 2022? December 31st. December 31st. <laughs> we'll get to that story. So then it took you literally a full year to raise this capital. Yes. In 2022. And so you had mentioned that it started with the San Diego Angel Competition, When you decided that you were going to branch out from there because they were only going to allot a certain amount, how did you go about finding these other angel groups? Like, what were, imagine once again, if we get back to a little bit mechanical um, insight for the entrepreneurs listening in. If I was a med tech startup, right, also raising right now or a year ago, and I was in that angel group category, like, how did you even go about looking outside of the San Diego Angels when you knew that you had to get more?
2: That's where we benefited from being part of various ecosystems. Uh, so we were uh, we were part of um, the uh, the ecosystem at UCSD, which is an uh, we were part of the Institute for the Global Entrepreneur MedTech Accelerator. So um, we we received a lot of guidance and mentorship um, through that group, uh, and 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 so basically the advice that, uh, that I received is, okay, now we got to syndicate it. Right. And fortunately some of the San Diego angels conference investors were also members of new fund. So the, the former TCA San Diego group. And so there was some overlap and, and, uh, uh, three or four of those investors, they championed us at new fund. And, and so new fund also invested right thereafter. Um, and then, and then as a matter of, you know, we we're part of, um, Oh, there are a number of different groups that that we are part of and and it was just through introductions to folks that are in these other funds that uh, that we got uh yeah, we submitted our applications and then we went through the the screening process and you, know, you know, we, I mean, we 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 talked to, we applied to, I would bet I, I was going to summarize this before this podcast, but I I, I would bet we applied to 75. Angel groups, right, and then a certain percentage of those, you know, we we didn't make the next round, but then percentage of them, we we got past the screening, and then you get yep. through the do, first due diligence, second, and, and so forth. So, so it's just a numbers game, and and um, um yeah, but 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 essentially, the co fund we we actually even talked to the year before, at, at another conference, and and uh, at the time we were focused on a different indication, uh, but. Um, but that's how we met them originally. And then, you know, a year later almost they decided to invest once we had pivoted. So, um, so
1: Then if if it was a combination, it sounds like a network effect, right? So you were part of the San Diego angel competition, which then bled into the new co-fund, which then bled into other areas, right? Where at least opened your network of saying, okay, let me try that. Let me try that. Let me try that. Um, was there ever days where you were, Sitting at your computer, just Googling medical device or med tech or digital health uh, angel groups. I mean, were you ever that basic, or was it always a string pulling effect of people that you knew from a network effect? It was a
2: combination, right? So the first step is, is just to identify those those funds that typically syndicate with each other, right? Yeah. And 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 then within that list, I would look uh, I would look at okay, where do I have contacts and and where do I have common connections, and then ask for introductions. And uh, so I, you know, I I, I use that process. And, and I constantly worked with my network to, to ask him, okay, well, here's where we are, you know, what do you suggest? Who else should we be talking to? And, 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 and then, you know, it's, it's really important that you have that wide network, and, and, and have people that believe in you, that'll make the introductions, right. And just because you know, they made an introduction and somebody isn't interested in your deal that doesn't dissuade them from making an intro to another fund, right? (laughs) Um, Because it it just may not be the right fit.
1: You mentioned something really important now about people believing in you. And even on our prior call, and I put this in quotes because I definitely didn't want to let it go. You have to have a champion. And that was your line. You have to have a champion. What does that mean? And how did it actually help you?
2: Well, in in our case, it, it meant uh, we there was a, a gentleman named Keith Richter, and uh, he's he's a veterinarian, and uh, he had he had uh, actually sold. He was part. He was a founder of a veterinary hospital group, and they they just recently sold their their group to a, a larger company. Anyway, he was he for whatever reason, you know, he's he, he was part of the San Diego Angels conference group. For whatever reason, he. He liked our idea and, and took to our idea and and he volunteered to be the due diligence lead um, in 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 our deal and and essentially you know he by getting to know us and, and doing his homework on our company and doing his homework on our team he he started to believe in us and 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 the power and what we're working on not just for the initial beachhead market that we're after but um, but uh, but beyond. And 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 it just took you know it was sort of an evolving thing, <laughs> you know it took three months right from the time that we had met and because I'd never met him before, um, and and he was done then the one who who led the due diligence team at SDAC he also ended up leading the due diligence team at New Fund, and and so he was that early champion that uh, that really uh, helped make a difference. Uh, but then we also had individuals that that were champions. Uh, one. Individual is Pankaj Plank, is Kedia. For, he used to be at Qualcomm. Um, so, him listening to us and, and believing in us—that uh, was uh, knowing what he sees on a daily basis. Uh, that was a, uh, you know, that was a lot of validation right there. Um, and then, and there are other folks. Uh, you know, our, our one of our board directors, Charles uh, Charles Patton, he was an early believer. Um, and, and, and so, you know, you have those people that, that believe in you, believe in your story. They believe that, that what you're working on, um, is financially compelling and has social impact. Um, so that if you have that alignment, um, that that's where the magic happens.
1: So I know that you were involved in a a few angel groups, as you had mentioned, but once again, imagine complete naive entrepreneurs who have never been through the experience before what should they know about angel groups i mean if you look at the individual angel and we've heard stories of this where it was a former colleague from a company that did well for themselves and they could give you 20 grand 10 grand 50 grand 100 grand i mean it could literally be the person that you meet at starbucks on a random saturday afternoon and you just spark up a conversation and they can give you money i mean it could be that serendipitous but in general you know an angel is an individual human being Mm -hmm. that is an accredited human being that can make an investment into you with their own money but then there's these angel groups and they come in various shapes sizes flavors Just walk us through at a high level. I mean, I know that you talk to a lot of them. You you said uh, applying to seventy-something groups, but in your experience, if you had to forewarn what another entrepreneur is getting involved in if they're going to take on an angel round, what can they be expecting?
2: Well, I mean, there there are some groups that are more. I would say they have a more uh, democratized decision-making process than others. Right? There are some that, that act more like a fund where you have or three fund managers that are essentially the decision makers and and if they make the recommendation in an investment then typically the the fund will vote for it um so you have some of those but there are quite a few where actually there's a you know there's a there's a a due diligence process or a, a selection process and a due diligence process that um that these group of angels are are basically trying to bank on right and and so they and 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 then at the end they can decide do I want to write a check to that company right uh, versus pulling the money into a fund and then the fund decides where to invest it and and we found you know with our solution especially as we were getting towards the end of the year those fu- those angel funds were where individual angels were writing individual checks <laughs> but using the you know the angel, the angel organization as a way to identify deals and deal flows. Um, those were the toughest for us because because the the risk reward ratio, you know, the late the later we got to the year, was tilting away from investing in, in a med tech startup, right? Um, so so anyway, so you have to be aware of what you're getting yourself into. In in, in many funds, it's it's kind of like trying to get a vote on the Senate floor. Uh, right, where you you have to you have to get enough votes lined up to, that support your deal, um, and it's tough sometimes to understand how you get those votes, uh, but there are always going to be some that are naysayers and that um, basically uh, are skeptical about your deal, and that's where the champion comes in, right? Because if you have that champion that believes and they say, well, yeah, these challenges exist, but you know I believe in this team, they can overcome them, right? And and I think that's that's what you want to have
1: so then in terms of the flavor shape and size you have the one-off individual human beings that you can find anywhere serendipitously you have some groups that have a pool of money with a few decision makers that in theory they can cast a vote to deploy a group of people's money into a selected investment and then you have these competition slash hoops, you have to jump through types that people can select and, and basically use an angel group vehicle to decide if they're gonna invest as an individual. Mm-hmm. And then you have some that- Or hybrids, are well, hybrids. So like they the come All- Angels All-
2: Conference is, is a hybrid, right? Where basically they, in, they pull money. Yeah. And in this case, I think it was a quarter, three quarters of a million dollars in total. And we ended up um, winning 350,000 of that. But then there are also there was an opportunity for the individuals within the fund if they wanted to invest more, they could do that via an SPV, Um, and 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 so so yeah, some are hybrids.
1: How does when you're raising from various forms of angels like this? So fast forward carry health. When you're raising an institutional round in series A, series, B, whatever it may be, and it's taken by one to five VCs or one to three VCs and those are the lines on your cap table next. But then you have these angel groups where one's a veterinarian, five are from this angel group that invest individually, that angel group invests as an in SPV and only one line on your cap table. How do you, or what would you recommend, even at a high level, for cap table management?
2: Yeah, I mean, that, that's something that, that's really, really important, right? Is Is how do you keep your cap table clean? And and we've been very fortunate in, in, in that in that way. Uh, basically, the the terms or the structure of our deal was is a convertible note, and and essentially everybody that invested invested on that same note and on the same deal. Um, so we don't have you know a safe here and a convertible note here and you know <laughs> equity investment there. We we it's one note, it's one set of terms and. We basically syndicated that deal across the board. So if you can do that, and it's not always possible, but if you can do that, uh, it, it it really helps um, once you get to the price round, right? Because we, we haven't had a price round yet, but we will have one later this year. And, and so now our cap table is, is very clean as it relates to that.
1: And not a plug, but is there any silver bullet that you have for cap table management? Do you do it on an Excel or do you have Carta or how do you do it?
2: Yeah so we're we're on Carta.
1: Yeah. Okay. And, and I, I hear Carta all the time. What I haven't heard is does Carta even have a competitor? Are you even aware of another
2: Yeah, there there are competitors and and um, I, I can't remember the name and
1: Okay. But, so Carta is the champion. <laughs> yeah,
2: but but uh, but you know there, there there are competitors and and they're you know lower cost and and probably somewhat easier but the standard is really is is Carta. And nobody's going to question you if you're, if you say, okay, yeah, we've got all our stuff on Carter. It's like, Oh yeah. Okay.
1: Gotcha. It's a brand. So I want to go back to, and we can either piecemeal it with two different topics, or if there is a story that ties into both, but the challenge in the macroeconomic circumstances that made angels pause or even just in general, the environment and ecosystem of raising in 2022 And that story that you mentioned of literally closing on January, uh, sorry, December 31st, you know, tackle both of those or, or let me know if it's an independent story where it's like, tell me your philosophy on the macroeconomic climate of raising in 2022 and even now, or if it does tie into the reason behind December 31st.
2: Yeah, you know, it's a really interesting dynamic, right? Because we we generated a lot of momentum in the so towards the end of the second quarter, beginning of the third quarter, we had raised, uh, you know, within a couple of months, we we were more than halfway towards our target, and and at the same time, we we continued to to de-risk our company, right? So you know, with each month, we made progress and we became a, a less riskier um, investment. Yet you know the macroeconomic environment changed, and so even though we're continued to de-risk, the, the appetite for <laughs> for investing in us declined, right? Uh, and 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 so that 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 balance just changed, you know, with, without anything that that we could do about it, and 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 it became it became more and more challenging and more and more difficult uh, the the further we got towards the end of the year. So we we had no shortage of. Of opportunities in terms of um, funds that we talk to and individuals that we talk to, but I can't tell you how many messages that I received that said, "Look, you know, we love what you're doing. We love your team. We love your technology. Um, it, it, it's just not the right time for us to make this investment. You know, if you know, if the timing were different, <laughs> and 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 so we weren't getting that early on in the year, and and we we were we kept getting that the further we got to at the end of the year. Um, so so anyway, so I'm just grateful that. That we're able to, to generate some momentum uh, that the last month of the year, and and we had uh, quite a few individuals that stepped up and and helped us um, actually oversubscribe oversubscribe on on our target. So uh, very grateful for that. But it was definitely um, it was not for the uh, faint of heart. There's no question about it.
1: If you can, if you can, and if you can remember when did the slowdown start for you? Like you had this great inertia going into 2022 and then, you know, maybe it was unidentifiable in the moment, but hindsight two or three months later, you're like, wow, that's, that is when it, when it started slowing down. When did that happen? Well, it, it started, it actually
2: started when we were neg- negotiating the terms of our note, which was in April. And, and the fact that uh, you know, because we had we our idea, was, uh, we thought you know every founder and entrepreneur thinks that that their valuation should be higher than <laughs> than, than those that invest. But um, but there was a lot of talk, you know, when we are negotiating the deal. I said, look, you know, if 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 we don't if we don't lower your valuation, you're going to have a really difficult time closing out this round. And and so that was and you know at the time you're like well you know but i'm talking to all these groups and funds and it's just a matter once we close it it's just a matter of bringing them in i just you know i kind of listened but i didn't really believe it <laughs> and and um, and then we we got all this momentum with with um with the two the two additional funds and 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 so i thought oh you know that was just talk right it was just negotiation and negotiating tactic but then, you know, as we got towards towards, uh, it was yeah probably August, September, October. It just is like okay, well they weren't kidding. <laughs> it is changing, so
1: yeah. And then tying all these stories together, leading up into September, October, and you had mentioned earlier some of the worst advice you had mentioned or were told was to close the round which then led into this final point of December 31st. So, you know, leading into, let's call it Q4, what was this play-by-play of feeling and and things that happened in Q4 of 2022 that ultimately led to this press release that came out on January 10th, naming your success?
2: We just decided, look, we're gonna double down. It, we're going to dig in and 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 we're going to double down on our reach out and uh, go back to some of the folks we talked to earlier, uh, and then and then we had a real catalyst. We, you know, we were fortunate. We did a a, a study uh, towards um, the end of October, and we got preliminary results back uh, in the beginning of December. So there weren't final results yet, uh, but preliminary results and, and the and the data was was uh, was um, was very good and so. And supported the fact that you know this would further de-risk our business if these findings were confirmed, and and we use that as a catalyst to to basically look you know we're closing around at the end of the year. You're either in or not, right? This is uh, and, and and so so that um, that generated the momentum and 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 uh, but we had you know to get to that point you know we had to build up um, a lot because not everybody was in. <laughs> Um, but but a lot of people a lot of individuals a lot of, and and there's some funds as well that that say okay yeah okay you know this 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 de-risks the business significantly and um, and this is promising enough for us to to join and 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 that's what gave us the catalyst to, to close the round and literally we got the the last the last wire on the 30th of December and, and and no, the, the last document was yeah, the last document was signed on the thirtieth of, of December, and no, the thirty first, the last wire, I came in. <laughs> and uh, and and you know, on a side note, I was actually on vacation in Germany. I hadn't been home in four years, and and we were there during that week when, I, when we were trying to close the round, and and uh, so that added to the drama. But uh, but wow. it's behind us now. So.
1: Wow. So down to the wire on December 31st, that's when you closed the round, And I'm looking at the press release again, the 2.3 million, right? So, you know, from what you can share, you were almost about to close the round based on some advice at what, and then what did you clean house with the last five, six, seven weeks of the year that ultimately led to this 2.3 million seed round? And then was that the number you were shooting for or close enough?
2: Yeah, we were shooting for 2.25. That was the, nice. So that was what we were shooting for. And I think when we we're contemplating maybe, uh, closing it, I can't remember the exact number, but I think we're in the one five, one six range maybe. Wow. And, um, so, you know, we, we added a, a significant chunk, um, that, that, those last, uh, couple months of the year. So, so I'm really glad that we stuck with it and, and, um, Yeah, things came together.
1: So the the other question I wanted to have, and and for the entrepreneurs listening in here is, especially when it comes to angels, I mean, when you get to the institutional side, you're dealing with professional investors. I mean, you have to figure out your own way of weeding down on how are you presenting to the right institutional professional investors, meaning ones that invest in med tech and somewhat know the space. But angels are a different breed, right? I mean, I, I talk to medical device angels, but they also invest in agri-tech and solar tech and whatever tech, but they're not just dedicated to medical device or med tech, for example, as an entrepreneur, how important is it during the pitch to people who know the space and those who clearly don't know the space and what are some of those nuances of the pitch, the sale, and ultimately the execution? (sighs)
2: Yeah. And it's really interesting that you highlight the nuances between those that are familiar versus those that, that aren't right. Those that are, what's really important is that you can articulate uh, the road ahead and the challenges ahead and how you intend, the work that you've already done to de-risk it and the work that you're going to do to continue to de-risk it. And, and And they have to feel like, okay, they they've done their homework, they 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 know they know what the path is, they know what the challenges ahead, and they've they've already thought about it a lot and have done a lot of work on it, right? So that's for those that have been there, right? Those that that aren't quite as familiar, they they I think but they're used to investing, like they're used to investing in, I don't know, a SaaS company, right? Or or some other tech that doesn't involve regulatory clearance it's it's important to walk them through the the timelines right and get them comfortable with the timelines because it's longer than than what they would normally expect right in terms of an ROI and and the other part is 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 they have to believe that if the product works the way it's intended that the market will be there and they want to see what work have you done <laughs> to to validate the market need and market adoption. And, and so those are the key things um, that, that I would point out.
1: And when you look back on it, and it's just a gut feeling, you don't have to share the actual numbers, but when you look back on it, the amount of angels that ultimately invested, were they almost equal parts, ones that invest in everything and didn't know the space? They just happened to fall in love with your store and you were able to convince them or were a lot of them knowledgeable industry investors?
2: Well, I would say that SDAC, New Fund, CoFund, Chemical Angels, and Medical Device of Tomorrow, they all know yeah. medical devices. They they've all invested in medical device companies before. They understand the challenges, they understand the timelines. I would call I would call them smart money, right? Uh all all, all five funds. Um, the, the individual investors that invested through the SPV, uh, that is, uh, I would, most most of them um, are knowledgeable in terms of, um, you know, the medical need, the clinical need. Um, but, but there are some, you know, that, that I think loved our story and, and believed in us and are not that familiar with, with med tech um, investments, med tech devices. But I would say those are in the minority.
1: Fascinating. And thank you for the insight. I have two more questions for you uh, just to round out the whole story. When we did meet, I alluded to the fact that we were in Boston. It was the AdvoMed conference. You were at the MedTech Innovator gathering with the other 49 companies in the cohort, I believe. And um, what was that like in terms of Medtech Innovator, being the accelerator company that you were a part of, I know that you mentioned you were a part of a few groups, but you know Medtech Innovator, it's toted as being the the largest medical device accelerator in the world, and you happen to be one of their companies. And you know, for all those listening in, tying back to the idea that you had started pulling on this networking string by joining some of these affiliates that you were with and opening the network, what did Medtech Innovator do for you? And, and what was some of that experience?
2: Well, that was a, another key validation point for us to to be admitted to to MTI was was a game changer. Uh, you know, Paul, Grand and his team, they're they're fantastic. Um, for, for us, it was it was just humbling and inspiring to, to be part of that group. The, the caliber of, of companies that are part of that that um, accelerator, uh, the caliber of entrepreneurs, it's it's really really uh, inspiring. I, I kind of compare it to to the NFL Combine of, of med tech startups, right? And <laughs> and um, and so I, you know, we learned we learned a lot. Uh, we we established a lot of relationships with other um, peer CEOs and, and founders, and and it, yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about about the program, about Paul, about his team. It, it was a it was an incredible experience and 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 one that that is um, you know that's that's a huge part of, of our story.
1: And because you had mentioned earlier on that this is your first foray into the medical industry, would you say from someone jumping into the industry, starting a medical device company, and not necessarily coming from this history of of the industry, was MedTech Innovator something that kind of opened your world in the the MedTech side?
2: Well, yeah. For me, every day was a day of learning, right? And and I I, I was somewhat of of uh, I think of an exception compared to all the other CEOs that that were there, uh, because most of them had been in the industry. Most of them uh, had experience uh, with medical devices and commercializing medical devices, and um, so I was. I think I was. Probably the one of the exceptions, if not the exception. So for me, it was it was it was just a lot of learning.
1: <laughs> awesome. And, and uh, yeah. You, going back once again to the fact that you've had seven exits, and I believe you said that you were in leadership positions within three. Mm-hmm. Is this your first time raising capital as CEO?
2: Yes, first time as a founder, first time uh, raising capital as a CEO, first time. In the med tech space, uh, healthcare in, in general. Um, so a lot yeah. of firsts all at once. A lot of firsts, but yeah, but you know, the key is is that that a lot of the experiences I've gained over the years, uh, I can I can leverage uh, and and bring to uh, to this company and and to my team and and um, it's it's been it's 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 been very very rewarding. You know, I would say that uh, I think I posted a blog a while ago and talks about the purpose, you know, finding purpose, you know, where you have sort of the intersection of, you know, what am I good at and what am I passionate about and and what will the world pay for? You know, what will the market pay for? You know, the intersection, the Venn diagram there, you know, I I, I firmly believe that I found my, my purpose, right? And uh, I'm passionate about it. I, I love what I do every day and, but, you know. Not to say that it's easy, but. <laughs> but
1: and that's what funny. I love. And that's what I love. And, and I, I I, want to sign off with this one because it's arguably the thesis of this whole entire series, this MedTech Money series is, is my sign-off question. And you're the prototypical entrepreneur, right? And, and answering this question. So you've built this career. It's been fortunate where you've had successes. So seven. And you now have been able to leverage all of this inertia to finally becoming a founder. but even if you've supported or been peripherally a part of fundraising in other industries and other companies this is your first time putting your signature on it you leading the strategy you leading the the phone calls the the whole mess of of raising capital speak to the the room of people who were patrick's a couple of years ago and haven't done this before and you know whether it's philosophical or tactical what would you sign off with in terms of being a first time fundraiser and what you have taken away from that experience, having been a person who didn't raise it not all that long ago?
2: If you have a, you know, if you have a dream and, and, and you want to build a company you, 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 and you need capital, you just got to go do it and know that it's not easy. It's challenging, but uh, but if you put your mind to it and and you're willing to to not worry about the fact that uh, that you're going to hear a lot of no's, uh, just go for it. And, and and the worst that you know, if you try it and you're not you don't succeed, at least you've given it a shot. And, and that's how I looked at it. I said, look, we're going to give it our best shot. And and if that best shot is not good enough, then we'll try. You know, we'll try something else. <laughs> but but we're going to give it our best shot, and, and and I'm proud that my my team and I we we gave it our best shot, and and I do want to highlight my team because it, it's a t- it's a team sport. Fundraising is a team sport. You cannot do it by yourself. I mean, there maybe there are some that can. They can walk in the room and you know they <laughs> command the room, and and everybody uh, signs up to what they're doing. But um, but I think in in general, at least you know if you're if you're trying to raise funds from uh, from angel funds and individual angels it's a, it's a team sport
1: so you heard it here first for all those people dreaming to start their own medtech companies and their startup companies and raising capital for those once again who haven't done it before patrick i want to say thank you so much for your time for grinding it through and sharing that story of what it takes to raise a 2.3 million dollar seed round from angels in a very challenging year in 2022 and literally right down to the wire of December 31st, closing that up so that you can make that fresh press release in in January the following year, which was last month. So, Patrick Schmidle, founder and CEO of Kerry Health, I want to say thank you very much again for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom and insight, and also your entrepreneurial skill sets that you've been garnering and building with Kerry Health. This is the MedTech Money podcast series where we demystify raising and investing capital in med today. Thank you so much, Patrick.
2: Thank you, Giovanni. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And uh, you know, one of the key things and, and benefits uh, to doing. Uh, to doing this kind of work is to meet people like you. And, and I really appreciate that. So, so thanks.
1: Thank you, Patrick.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at Thanks for listening and have a great day.